What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast, where we sit down with top athletes, researchers, scientists, and more, learn what the best in the world are doing to perform at their peak, and what you can do to unlock your own best performance. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, and we are on a mission to unlock human performance. This week's episode is all about hydration. Whoop VP of Performance Kristen Holmes sits down with Andy Blow, a world-renowned expert in sweat, dehydration, and cramping, to discuss how you can lock in your hydration. Andy is the founder of Precision Fuel and Hydration and is a sports scientist who spent part of his career working for the Benetton and Renault Formula One teams. Kristen and Andy discuss how our body functions when we sweat and the load that sweating places on our cardiovascular system, what electrolytes are when we need them and how to best go about replenishing them, how to avoid overhydrating, and why some of the common signs you might look for to judge your hydration levels might be leading you astray, the critical role sodium plays in hydration, and what alcohol does to your body and ways you can approach hydration even if you are drinking. A reminder, we have new ways to interact with the Whoop podcast. You can email us, podcast at whoop.com, or you can call our new listener line. And leave a question or comment, and your question may be answered on a future episode. That's 508-443-4952. 508-443-4952. We also have an exciting new offer for Whoop Podcast listeners. If you're a new member signing up for Whoop, you can use the code WILL, W-I-L-L, when you're checking out to get a $60 credit on Whoop accessories. This includes bands, battery packs, and our Whoop body apparel. You can check out the newly released Lux Bands, too. So that is at join.whoop.com. And without further ado, here are Kristen Holmes and Andy Blow. Andy Blow is the founder of Precision Fuel and Hydration. He is a sports scientist with a degree in sports and exercise science from the University of Bath. And how salty is Andy? Well, he loses over 1,850 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat. So, Andy, I think we should all just introduce ourselves with how much sweat we lose. Oh, absolutely. It's a good idea. We've um, printed it on the back of our business cards. In fact. <laughs> I love that. And I'm just embarrassed to say uh, that I, I actually don't know exactly how much you know sweat I lose, but I'm definitely on the salty side. No question about it. I'll have that ring of salt after a big track workout. Uh, and I was like just kind of known for being quite salty as, as an athlete. So... I, I can relate because uh, that on the spectrum of saltiness, and we'll get into that. How salty actually is that? It's pretty salty, right? Absolutely. Um. So, so like the range is probably two hundred milligrams per liter is really low salt in your sweat, and kind of two thousand to two thousand two hundred is really high. And I'm I'm pushing that higher end. In fact, when I first had a sweat test, it was quite a few years before we we met anyone saltier than me. But I'm, I've now been knocked. I've, I've been knocked down the pecking order in the last few years as we've tested more and more athletes. You're a world expert in sweat dehydration and cramping, and you know you've worked as a team sports scientist for uh, Benetton and Renault Formula One teams, and you're an advisor for Porsche Human Performance Center. So, you know you've just been in this space in your entire career, and it's really interesting because when you know when we and this won't surprise you, but when we analyze population data, the one behavior that moves around our recovery metrics the most is actually hydration. You know, when members report having hydrated sufficiently, they see marked improvements in heart rate variability and resting heart rate. So, you know, I think hydration on the surface seems relatively 
straightforward, but uh, in my research for this podcast, I found that a bulk of the directives related to hydration are absolutely unsubstantiated and even flat out incorrect <laughs> based on my understanding of human physiology. So on that note, you know, Andy, I'm, I'm super excited for you to help us kind of set the re- record straight on what a science-backed framework for hydration should actually look like. And I think, you know, if the goal of this podcast, I think if we can get to the end and kind of give people just, a, you know, a framework on how to think about hydration, I feel like that would be a huge win. So why don't we start with your background? You know, give us a little insight into your athletic background and kind of how you got into uh, really examining hydration and in, in, in the depth and uh, level that you have over the years. Yeah, well, as a as a youngster, I was very sporty, uh, played a lot of soccer. And like most kids in the UK, pretty convinced I was going to be a professional soccer player and uh, until that <laughs> dream was popped. Uh, I think I was once told that I was probably better at running without a ball at my feet than with with a ball at my feet. So I, I got into, you know, endurance sports uh, in my early to mid-teens, cross-country, did a little bit of swimming, rode a bike a bit, and eventually got taken by my dad to a, a swim-run race that was alongside a, a triathlon. Got immediately fell in love with the idea of having a go at that, and then that just quickly became an obsession for quite a number of years. And triathlon was kind of my my main sport as a late in my late teens and right through my twenties, where I tried pretty hard to to make it to the Olympics and kind of got as far as the British team for some events, but not anywhere near really going to the games itself. And that sent me on a journey into Ironman racing, you know, the longer course triathlon stuff, and and that was where my interest in sports science because I'd studied sports science at, at college and my sort of own physiology came together and created this interest in hydration because whenever I went to a hot long distance triathlon my performance would crater I would fall apart and you mentioned at the start you know being someone who has salt marks all over their skin and that kind of thing when you when you do a hard workout well after a after a long triathlon in the heat I could almost look white you know it was like white salt stains in my eyebrows all over my kit and I would I would get horrific cramps I would get all sorts of um, you know problems hyponatremia which will probably you know we can talk about a little bit in in terms of the physiology of that later on but really 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 kind of poor poor performance and um, it was it was only after talking to a friend of mine who was a doctor a heart surgeon and explaining to him the symptoms that I was getting and trying to pass out what this disconnect was between my ability to perform at a very high level in cold conditions and total inability to perform in the heat that he said I think you know there's a lot of fluid loss going on because you're clearly a guy who sweats a lot you've got a big sweat rate but also what about you know your salt loss because it looks like you're losing a lot of that and he put he put two and two together from my symptoms took me to a hospital to have my sweat analyzed you know with a in, in a cystic fibrosis unit looking at salt loss it was really really high and then all of a sudden the pieces of puzzle came together and although that happened to me relatively late in my own training career and racing career after that I I made some substantial changes to how I hydrated how much electrolyte and sodium in particular I took in in races how much fluid I took in and it was like night and day it made all the difference that that was kind of the catalyst then for then looking into the research more starting to do sweat testing with athletes starting to develop products because i felt that there was a the market was like horribly underserved in in that regard what would you say is the kind of most you know seminal piece of research that you would point to that really kind of highlights the relevance for 
being more prescriptive, you know, especially as we do when we talk about kind of professional level athletes, we'll kind of just maybe start there and then we'll trick ourselves down to, you know, more recreational type of folks and just folks walking around and just not sweating a lot, you know, but I think like kind of understanding what does that tip of the spear really look like and what does the research say? Well, some of the research that caught my my eye early on was really the stuff looking at population data of athletes and looking at the range of sweat sodium loss because the GSSI, the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, has published some, some very good papers on that um, a lady out of I think Philadelphia called uh, Dr. Sandra Godek she she did a paper which I remember reading all about um, American football players and showing the massive variation in both fluid and salt loss that can occur with athletes essentially following the same training program you know she was looking at two-a-day practices in the pre-season in the heat in August and showing that some players required less than a, a teaspoon of salt a day to replace their electrolyte needs and other players needed like handfuls of salt to replace what they were losing and gallons of fluid to go with it and so the research has always is always existed to show that there is a huge inter individual variability in sweat and salt loss but then what I felt was when once I lifted the lid on that as an athlete I thought no one is doing a fantastic job actually of communicating this to the athlete population you talk to scientists and a lot of them will understand that there is this huge inter individual variation but then the difficult bit is like getting that across to athletes and, and giving actionable advice so that people can actually individualize their hydration intake i think for most folks they probably don't understand just the basic physiology of of what's going on and kind of the chemistry do you want to just do a, a quick rundown of kind of what's happening in the cells and the tissues when we're hydrated versus dehydrated and you know how does that actually impact our perceived effort our cognition you know our and just general performance levels as regards athletes like we know that dehydration and chronic dehydration in the, in the general population is is, is potentially an issue, certainly in certain specific groups like el the elderly and, and that kind of thing. When, when we're talking about athletes, though, the big lever that moves the hydration needle is acute sweat losses during training sessions and competitions. So you can, you can be well hydrated one minute you know, and start exercising and 90 minutes later, two hours later, you can be already really quite severely dehydrated and the biggest impact that that has is on blood volume because obviously sweating is a function of thermoregulation you your hypothalamus detects that your core body temperature is rising it it sets off a cascade of neurotransmitters to cool you down by stimulating your sweat glands your sweat glands release some fluid onto the surface of the skin to evaporate away and take a lot of heat away and that fluid the crucial thing is that's coming from your blood plasma so that's decreasing your blood volume and your blood is very salty so this is why there's a lot of sodium it's quite a sodium rich fluid and the problem with a decrease in blood volume and a loss of sodium during exercise is that ultimately it puts more strain on your cardiovascular system so you see your heart rate increase you see your perception of effort increase and if it gets really severe it will it will slow you down and stop you in your in your tracks so for, you know i think that's a really critical thing for athletes to remember especially those who are taking part in cardiovascular exercises that heavy sweat losses impact blood volume which then impacts performance so hydration is really all about the maintenance of decent blood volume when you're exercising can you talk a little bit about just perceived effort and thirst and and dehydration what does the research say around that or what have you found in terms of just perceived effort when you're you know feeling dehydrated or thirsty during performance 
that's an interesting one because there's been a lot of research in that area some contradictory opinions are formed around you know we've all heard this phrase like if you're thirsty it's too late you're already dehydrated if you dehydrated two percent your performance will suffer dehydration i I couldn't find anything substantiated in the literature around that is that's a myth right yes and no it's not exactly a myth in that when you look at the aggregate data across lots and lots of studies it seems to be that when people are forcibly dehydrated or otherwise to about two percent body weight loss you do you do start to see decrements in performance but that's not that's it it can certainly not be translated across as a universal statistic you know a lot of a lot of the criticism of that type of literature is that if you take an athlete put them in a sauna or give them a diuretic and forcibly get them to lose two percent of their body weight that's and and stop them from drinking even if they feel thirsty that is not a representative of how athletes behave in the real world you know when we're exercising if we've got or humans in general when we've got availability of fluid and water in front of us if we're thirsty we will drink it it's one of the most powerful urges you have in the body so you know so then it is contradicted by some data from marathon runners where they finish marathons six percent body weight uh, with six percent body weight loss and are still running phenomenally quick at the end then showing no signs of their performance degrading and and i think that there's lots of subtleties that get missed if you try and give a blanket answer because some of the time if you become two percent dehydrated or for some people that may result in a substantial drop off in performance at other times you may only be one percent dehydrated and your performance suffers but there'd be certain situations where five or six percent or even seven percent might be acceptable if you started very well prehydrated if you're doing an activity where you're pushing within your limits you're not ex- going over your limits if the weather conditions are suitable then all of these factors can mean that there's no there's no hard and fast rule and i think that's where when you get into the hydration science there there are sort of two camps that have developed those that who argue pretty strongly for this idea that you don't need any plan with hydration you just need to drink when you're thirsty because the thirst instinct is exquisitely maintained in most humans and if you respond to that you will stop yourself becoming significantly dehydrated and everything will be fine the kind of opposing camp is saying well actually you need to have a plan for hydration because you know thirst isn't a good ind- isn't always a good indicator and you need to drink to a plan and you need to work out what you're going to take in and the, the the problem with with that is like many many issues that you come across in in sport and in life is that this polarized debate occurs where some people want to universally say drink when you're thirsty only some people want to say you have to have a plan you know there should be a way to meet in the middle but there's not because people's opinions get turned into sound bites and i think that's that's where we're trying to come at it from precision fuel and hydration's point of view is trying to teach athletes the, the messy gray area in between the nuance that actually you know what a lot of the time most people can approach hydration in a very natural way which is to to listen to their body and respond to the dictates of thirst if we do that the likelihood is we're certainly not going to die of dehydration and and in a lot of circumstances performance is probably going to be fine in sport I would argue, though, if you go to an extreme end and say, right, I'm going to do the Hawaii Ironman triathlon in 85 degrees and 90% humidity, um, and I'm going to go into that without a plan for, for hydration intake, then that's a serious roll of the dice. And actually, optimum performance 
is is only really going to be achieved in those kind of heavy sweat loss scenarios with with a really strategic approach to fluid and sodium replacement. Just as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, just all the variables that come into play that influence our fluid levels, you know, and I, I'm wondering about food intake, you know, prior to a workout, like how does that impact how we need to think about that hydration plan or caffeine supplementation that we might have taken on, you know, maybe just hit on what are some of the things that actually impact that planning for, you know, even if it's someone going out for a two-hour kayak in, you know, really hot conditions, for example, you know, how do some of these other variables impact the strategy? Yeah, I think prehydrating before workouts is really, really important. And that's actually an area that athletes often get things a little bit wrong. I certainly used to, so I can speak from personal experience on this, in that if I was going out to do a very hard training session or a race on an extremely hot day, if I was being super diligent, I might even start drinking more water the day before or the night before and then the morning of and thinking that, you know, more is probably going to be better because I'm, I'm worried about dehydration. So I'm going to put more in and then and then overwhelming the body a little bit and actually over drinking and over consuming plain water and fluid. So you end up peeing a lot of it out. And you're diluting the plasma. Like if you think about it from a, when the concentration of sodium gets too low, I mean, that could actually have some pretty serious consequences too. So maybe maybe hit on that again. I, I'm forgetting the term, hypoatremia. Yeah, hyponatremia. Hyponatremia, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you're exactly right. That when you overdrink, you start to dilute the blood plasma, your kidneys kick in and obviously you start to urinate and you start to pee. And I, I'm sure you will have been told as an athlete, you know, look at the curve of your pee. If it's clear, then you're well hydrated. If it's dark, you're dehydrated. And Whilst there's a there's there's plausibility of an, an element of truth in that, in that if you are peeing infrequently and it's very dark, your body's trying to conserve water, it's probably you probably are dehydrated. The reverse isn't necessarily true. If you're you mentioned caffeine before, a great example is if you get up and have a large glass of water and a coffee, you know, then you can actually stimulate quite a strong diuretic effect and pee out a lot of clear liquid which makes you think oh yeah i'm really well hydrated but actually what you're doing is just flushing water and electrolytes through your system and there's there have been some interesting studies before ultra marathons one in particular the guys took some blood samples of athletes at the start line of the spartathlon in greece which is a i think it's 150 or 170 mile running race in the heat and sort of 10 or 12 percent i think it was of the athletes on the start line were showing signs of hyponatremia in their blood and the researchers basically put that down. That's you wouldn't find that if you took if you took population data. If you walked down the street and took blood from a hundred random people, you're not going to find that ten of them, twelve of them are walking around hyponatremic. So the researchers thought, what's going on there? And they thought, well, the chances are what this is is these people are about to do a long hot run, and they've all aggressively prehydrated with water only, and diluted their systems and given themselves hyponatremia and that's a, that's a really bad way to be starting an endurance event in because it only gets kind of worse from that point on so you know to the point about prehydration i'd say a lot a lot of athletes you know neglect electrolyte intake when there's there's plenty of evidence to show that very strong electrolyte drinks you know we're talking about kind of electrolyte drinks which have about three maybe even four times the concentration of something like a regular Gatorade. Having a lot of sodium in a drink pre-exercise can help your body move the fluid from the gut into the bloodstream and hold it there. So you're boosting your blood plasma without horribly compromising the sodium levels. And so pre-hydration with a strong electrolyte drink, and you can do that. You need to do that about an hour before exercise. 
that is a, a really good strategy and one that we we employ you know with quite a few of the athletes that we work with in all sorts of sports because universally i think you know athletes want to be on the start line or be at the start of the game or the competition whatever it is optimally hydrated and i i'll give you you know what one example was one really bad example we we saw was an nfl player an nfl team that we're working for one of the players was cramping up quite a lot of games they didn't know why that seems to be a regular event in in nfl i'm like what is happening with these people well i (laughs) I think some of it's i think some of it's hydration practices yeah this this guy since college he'd been told he was a big sweater he's been told he needs to drink a lot so he openly told me that before a game, if he hasn't stood on the sidelines, like literally peeing in his pants because he's drunk so much water that he doesn't feel hydrated enough to play. And so we went through a very long exercise of trying to, you know, trying to undo 15 years of teaching to say to him, actually, you will be better hydrated if you drink significantly less, but if we put some extra electrolytes in it. And that was a particular success story because once we'd got the, the guy's confidence to kind of try this out and modify the strategy, what do you know? The cramping went away overnight and he's, he's like, you know, and so I think, you know, prehydration in itself is, is a, is a huge, is a huge deal. And that, if, if that's something that athletes can, can get right, you know, it, it gets you started on the, on the front foot, especially in hot conditions. On the cramping uh, front, you know, I talked to a lot of different CrossFit athletes, and these are just, you know, folks who are doing an an hour workout or whatever, and, you know, might be on a keto type diet, let's say. And and again, I just, I want to understand too, just how food might impact hydration strategies, because I I feel like there's potentially a lot of confusion there. But, um, and so, you know, not doing huge volumes, I guess, is, and, and not maybe sweating a ton, but are, you know, find themselves in the middle of the night cramping, you know, what might be happening there? Yeah. Keto diets is a really interesting one because when you, when you eat in a, in a ketogenic way and you shed most of the carbohydrates out of your diet, then you obviously start to deplete glycogen stores and in the body glycogen stores with it water. And so you're, that's why when you go on a ketogenic diet, often you drop weight very, very quickly because you're actually not losing all that much fat necessarily to start with. You're probably just losing a lot of water weight. And then of course, the knock-on effect of that is you're effectively, you for a while until the body adjusts and the kidneys adjust, then you become more dehydrated. So one of the big recommendations that, and that we've seen work with people who are on keto diets is to, is to drink significantly more sodium rich fluids or take more sodium in their food when they're drinking water to help with fluid retention for them to reduce the cramping because those kind of nighttime cramps post-workout cramps there's there's a heavy association of that with you know becoming dehydrated or, or sodium depleted so if you know you're kind of that person what would be the exact kind of protocol you would recommend for that individual it's usually if you're training if we take someone who's training once a day as an example we would usually recommend taking around about you know 16 well between smaller people maybe 8 to 12 bigger people 16 to 24 ounces of a very very strong electrolyte drink about an hour to 90 minutes before a workout then during a workout we'd have electrolyte rich drinks available but you kind of just drink the the workouts are usually of a, a duration where you just kind of drink to what you feel you need you know it, it might be more on a hot day less on a cold day or whatever and then in the recovery period as well trying to do a similar amount to whatever you did in the in the build-up so you know eight to 24 ounces depending on your body size 
of something which is a you know electrolyte tablets are usually good because they're if you're on keto they're they're a low or zero sugar alternative but lot lots of sodium in there because all of the study data that is out there about fluids in recovery shows that fluid retention is directly correlated to the amount of sodium that you consume with fluid so you can put an electrolyte tablet in or you can just eat a salty meal a recovery meal with lots of salt in it and drink some water but all of that will help you retain that fluid a lot better what's your stance on you know i know a lot of athletes and myself now included like i you know i use caffeine to kind of boost my athletic performance like i find it to be super effective um especially you know shorter durations how does that impact i guess the hydration status and how do we need to compensate i suppose for caffeine dosing yeah that's a good question i think it was definitely perceived for a very long time that caffeine Caffeine's a diuretic. So what that means is it encourages the kidneys to produce more urine. So it means that, that your urine output overall tend to rise. And it was therefore perceived that, you know, drinking a cup of coffee would almost dehydrate you rather than rehydrate you because you would lose fluid. There have been a lot more recent studies which suggest on average that when you drink a cup of coffee, if that's the way you're going to take your caffeine in, you actually don't get a net fluid loss in most people's case because the, the mm. you, you might pee more than you would otherwise but you still retain more fluid from the coffee than you than you pee out as a result of the diuresis i would say from personal experience that's probably a little bit individual as in some people appear to be able to drink coffee or tea or caffeinated beverages and stay really well hydrated others I, i'd put myself in this camp where one or two coffees seems to be okay for me in terms of fluid balance if i drink three or four in a day I feel like I can become progressively dehydrated because the diuresis just kind of carries on. And I know that from experience of, you know, doing a lot of crossing the Atlantic, being jet lagged, relying a little bit too much on coffee, you know, to, to, to pick me up in the afternoons and things. And then finding that progressively over a few days with that and some air travel in air conditioned cabins and that kind of thing, you become pretty dried out and, and dehydrated quickly. So I would say, the way to frame caffeine for most athletes is that it can be a performance enhancer. And to your point, you know, using it for short activities, taking three to six milligrams of caffeine per kilo of body weight about an hour before is a, is a fantastically well-validated protocol to boost performance because that caffeine takes, you know, 60 minutes to peak in your bloodstream. It's then, it's then doing all of the good stuff it does about resisting fatigue and improving cognitive function and alertness and, if you do that regularly, if you're a regular caffeine user, I would imagine that's not usually going to have too much of a negative impact on hydration status. I think if you're someone who's not habituated to using caffeine generally, then you might find that the diuresis is a little bit stronger, for example, and it's certainly going to be something you're going to want to test before you incorporate into your, your regime. I think when we see, we work with a lot of ultra endurance athletes who use caffeine actually during events as well. So with the cat, with the half-life of caffeine being sort of three to six hours, if you're doing an Ironman, you're going to want to take some caffeine on during the bike ride and early on in the marathon to help pick up your pre-exercise caffeine levels and generally speaking if you're taking say you know a lot of people use caffeinated energy gels for that if you're taking those during an event i don't i think that the anti-diuretic effects of exercise because when you exercise your body releases hormones which stop you peeing quite as much and i think i've rarely come across situations where dehydration has probably been worsened at least or where we perceive it would have been worsened by caffeine use during exercise because of that 
antidiuretic effect of the exercise itself. So honestly, I think with caffeine, probably the biggest impediment to hydration with it is if you're relying on a lot of caffeinated beverages for your fluid intake during a given day, you're just not going to get as good a high overall hydration status as if you switch some of those out for things that don't have as much caffeine in. Will your performance levels be fine, but it will actually impact recovery next day potentially? Like I often see if my ratios are, are a little bit out of whack or maybe my, it doesn't seem like my performance levels will suffer that day, but it seems to kind of impact me the next day. Does that make sense? I would say so. I think for most people, if your exercise sessions aren't if any individual exercise session is not super long, you know, like a lot of people exercise for between, you know, let's say 30 minutes and 90 minutes on a daily basis, if they're a, a, a fit, active person, then a single session starting a little bit dehydrated or whatever is probably very manageable. What what you're probably referring to there, and I agree completely, is this like stepwise depletion effect where you get where you start Monday pretty well hydrated, and then you but you don't do a great job, and then you work out, and then Tuesday you you start a percent or two behind the curve, and then by Wednesday you yeah you're definitely digging yourself a hole progressively. Um, that's certainly like that is classic for what happens to me if I if I fly from the UK to the US two three days in if i've not absolutely nailed my hydration on the flights you know stayed off alcohol stay minimized caffeine intake that sort of thing like two three days in i'll jump in a swimming pool somewhere and just cramp up you know it's like and that's a sure sign to me that it's taken my body's just taken a beating and i haven't stayed on top of it so it's, it's really that sort of knowledge has really changed my my habits now, though, even though I'm not anything like a, a serious athlete anymore, I, I try to work out every day if I can. And in order to be able to do that on the road, I have to absolutely crush the hydration, you know, to, to get that right. You know, some members on our platform uh, drink alcohol. How would you recommend, you know, those folks think about, you know, they go out Friday night, they you know have a wedding Saturday night and, you know, they're just recovering Sunday and, you know, they get into Monday and they, you know, are starting their typical workout on Monday. You know, how do those folks need to think about their Sunday to get back to neutral in order to, you know, not suffer terribly uh, or suffer less on Monday? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good good and common question and um, <laughs> definitely I'll put my hand up and say I've got a little bit of experience in that from, from time to time because I just um, asking for a friend but, no just kidding yeah exactly no. yeah yeah um so a few a few things are you know I guess an obvious one is you can if you if you know you're going to a big celebration a big party and you are just accepting the fact you're going to have a few drinks and you want to just take the brakes off and not worry about it you know having treating it almost like a workout in some ways you're going to because you, what you're going to do alcohol is diuretic it's going to make you pee and you're going to lose a lot more body fluid and having a like a almost like a prehydration like you would before a workout with a strong electrolyte drink and and trying to do the same as well either during the evening at some point or before you go to bed it's not going to it's not like a cure-all because if one of those existed i think people would have found it by now but it 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 can help you know so if i'm having a, a party or something like that i'll pre-mix up a bottle of um electrolyte drink and have that towards the end of the evening or before i go to bed as, as one strategy and then probably another one in the morning if i'm going to try and go out and you know work work out that work the hangover off as it were the the other thing to do was we would chat and we've been chatting with a um an interesting company that's making some things like non-alcoholic beers for athletes and and that sort of thing and they they were trying to come up with this funky like a uh, 
a beer equation. So it was like having the race, the ideal ratio of maybe having like two alcoholic drinks to then one non-alcoholic beer or something like that. Because what's changed massively in the last few years, I think, is the range of like interesting because it used to be if you went out and you were not drinking, you got offered a Coke. You know, that was it, really. And that was kind of like, well, I don't really want to drink a Coke. It's like that or a glass of water. It's pretty boring. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of drinking real beer, but some of the non-alcoholic beers are fantastic. And if you just slip one or two of those into the route in, into in your evening, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're actually pretty good at, at hydration. You know, if you are in a social situation, it can feel a little bit less awkward because, you know, you're still, still for, you know, it still looks like you're having a drink if that's what matters or, and it's certainly, they taste, you know, they taste pretty good. I've I, sometimes after a long, if I go out for a long run on a weekend and it's hot, it's actually like a cold non-alcoholic beer is a really nice thing to drink as in recovery. I suppose those kind of things, you know, rather than trying to be preachy because we're all, you know, many of us are going to do it. We're going to go out and have a, have a few drinks and enjoy it and, and then still try and get up and train. So you do what you can to manage it. You know, obviously we've talked about electrolytes just kind of loosely, but I'd love for you to just dig in. What is an electrolyte? When do we need it? You know, I think we've outlined some times where electrolyte you know, supplementation is got to be helpful if we're having caffeine, if we're experiencing cramping, you know, if we're doing longer endurance events. But, you know, if you just want to do just kind of a one-two on, on electrolytes just generally and then tap again what the real protocols are for kind of maybe these different categories of folks who might be working out. So electrolytes perform all sorts of functions in the body. They're charged elements in the dissolved in in the body's fluids uh, intracellular fluid and extracellular fluid things like the name the things that people will have heard of is sodium you know, calcium magnesium chloride potassium they all perform different roles a lot of it is to do a lot of their roles are to do with nerve impulse transmission and cellular communication the big ones though really i suppose to to, to understand because people often put all of electrolytes in they, they kind of cover them all over with an umbrella and think oh it's just they all they're all relevant well they they all do different slightly different jobs but in the body you've got two major pools of fluid you've got intracellular fluid inside the body cells where the predominant electrolyte is potassium and then you've got extracellular fluid which is the the blood volume and all the interstitial fluid and the fluid outside the cells and the major electrolyte in extracellular fluid is sodium and it's you know the sort of electrical gradient between the potassium inside the cell and the sodium outside the cell that is critical to cellular communication and functioning and other electrolytes like magnesium and calcium are very very tied into muscle function and muscle contraction and relaxation which is why they kind of get pulled into the picture when you start talking about things like cramping as well but fundamentally one of the the biggest factors that's useful for athletes to understand is that whilst all electrolytes are, are critical you'll get the vast majority of what you need from of all of them in your diet day to day just by eating a range of normal foods the major electrolyte that is of significance when it comes to supplementation for athletes for those who sweat heavily is sodium because sodium is the one that's lost in the highest volumes by far in sweat so people think well potassium is really important i always hear about you know i need to be having more potassium or whatever it's like well potassium is critical but it's locked inside the cells. So when you measure a sweat sample from someone, it doesn't contain much potassium at all. It will contain negligible amounts, uh, milligrams of potassium, but it might contain, as we, as we started off talking about like 2000 or one to 2000 milligrams of sodium. So 
that's kind of why sodium's got this outsized place in sports nutrition because it's sodium and water that you principally lose when you sweat and that's why all electrolytes are important they're all important to be in your diet and certainly a lot of people don't get enough potassium if they're not eating enough fresh fruit and vegetables and those kind of good natural sources of it but when you go out and sweat and run a marathon and sweat for two three four hours the electrolyte that you're going to lose the most of undoubtedly is sodium and that's why that's the critical one to think of acutely in terms of supplementation it's also the one that causes a lot of confusion because recommended daily allowances for sodium in the you know for various governments around the world are usually really relatively low modest and low because the vast majority of the population is not super active and doing loads of sweating but if i followed the rda for sodium on a day when i'm doing a three-hour run i would be cramped up in a horrible mess in a corner i'm, I'm going to need three or four times the rda on a day when i'm sweating a lot and, and as you well know sodium's got a bad rap over the years it's sort of a bit of a it's seen as you know a cause of high blood pressure and something that everyone needs to cut down on and like a lot of things there's a contradiction in this because probably a lot of people could do with cutting sodium down in their diet but not if you're an injured not if you're an athlete who's doing a lot of sweating you might even benefit from actually turning the dial up on sodium i mean a lot of folks now you know we mentioned keto uh you know intermittent fasting you know just maybe how can we use uh, electrolytes to kind of help you know those practices yeah there's a lot of interest in that in that sort of thing as you say with people eating much more low carb or or intermittent fasting when you maybe want to you know you've got to stay hydrated but you aren't taking in a lot of a lot of either a lot of carbs or a lot of calories at certain times in the day and that's where we do see people wanting to reach for things like effervescent electrolyte tablets that was the one of the first products that we produced um, because they're they're extremely low in calories or have virtually zero calories in but they do provide you with the you know a dose of sodium and some of the other minor electrolytes to help keep your hydration levels up because sometimes the temptation if you're fasting can be is just to drink lots and lots of water it helps you make makes you feel full and you know you, you kind of feel like you need something but actually won't it won't necessarily hydrate you as effectively as as taking some of the electrolytes because not only are you if you overdrink water are you diluting yourself when you're not eating if you're intermittent fasting you're not getting electrolytes into any food either so it can be a good counterbalance for that and i think that becomes especially relevant you know we're recording this in the northern hemisphere summer and it's like this time of year when if you're fasting or keto and if you're not taking supplementary electrolytes with your fluids then you can run the risk of becoming pretty dehydrated quite quickly yeah i've definitely gotten into the practice i tend to work out fasted and i find an electrolyte you know supplementation prior to the workout you know an hour or so before has been so game-changing for me do you use caffeine before those workouts as well because that's something i've heard about people doing for fasted workouts i do yeah yeah i think it's another another good way because you get some of the the kind of cognitive and physiological boost from that without it obviously being calorific you know and i do that a few times a week and, and i find that to be really effective and workouts are great and i respond physiologically like very positively to kind of that protocol so maybe andy just to finish up anything that we didn't cover that you feel like you know we kind of missed or you know what would be any pet peeves that you have in terms of how people think about hydration you know anything that you want to kind of leave us with i think one thing 
I'd like to just make people aware of is that with precision fuel and hydration, we're, we as a company are often, we produce products. We're often seen, therefore, as a products company, but that's not really what we are. We, we work with athletes to solve problems around their fueling and hydration. And one of our missions has been to start building this database of case studies of athletes in action, doing very, very detailed analyses of what they eat and drink during competition, breaking it down in terms of, you know, hydration intake as fluid and sodium, looking at um, fueling with carbohydrates, which is something we haven't really you know got that stuck into today but and also caffeine which we have talked about a little bit is is in there so if people want to sort of i think as an athlete i'd have massively valued being able to look at the case study database that we have on our website and it's in the it's in the top navigation bar of our website you go to athletes and into case studies you've got some really world-class athletes as well as some age group athletes and amateur athletes in there doing marathons ultra marathons triathlons um, all sorts of stuff really detailed breakdowns of what they ate and drank during races why they did it how they performed and that if you're if you're an athlete and and are interested in improving your performance in that dimension i would encourage people to like, go and take a look at that because there's a a whole world of information in there that really you know could hopefully shortcut some of the the trial and error and some of the kind of heartache that i had to suffer as an athlete in terms of not having access to this information i used to pick up bits of information talking to other athletes at races some of it would be contradictory you kind of pick up on the bits that you want to hear and discard the bits that don't jibe with what you want to think and whereas this is a we're in an age now where information is a lot more available and we're trying to condense some of the the most useful information around you know this this how do how do athletes really fuel and hydrate during their hardest biggest efforts because i think if you know i'm sure whoop people in general want to improve their performance and i think that's a that's a key area where there's to, to use your phrase you know you're leaving something on the table if you're not looking into hydration and fueling in that yeah. regard i feel like we've been remiss not to talk more about glucose but the the blog is wonderful those articles are are beautiful and case studies are amazing so definitely folks should absolutely go to that as a resource um for education and you know we can just be a whole lot smarter you know by by looking at some of the evidence that exists and um build that into our practices but what would you want to say about carbohydrates and just fueling in general yeah so carbohydrates and fueling was something we started off really focusing on hydration and only started to um, look in more detail at fueling in the last two or three years and that was in response to basically all the athletes we were working with for hydration saying okay we've got this we're getting this nailed now what do we eat alongside it and we went back to the science we went back to our own personal experience as athletes and sort of said okay well what are the basics here and i suppose it's really we call it knowing your numbers you know when it comes to fueling exercise particularly endurance exercise there's some really solid science out there to say that you know for for shorter duration activities kind of 30 grams of carbohydrate an hour is 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 a decent level of fueling as it increases you might go up to 60 grams and then even 90 grams if you're a really elite endurance athlete pushing the, the limits in long races we've since seen we've got case studies on our website of athletes taking 110 grams of carbohydrate per hour and what fascinates me about all of that is we've been through a big cycle in the last 10 years of like a lot of people pushing keto diets low low carb stuff and all of so all all of which is phenomenally valid in in clinical settings it even is it might be valid for a lot of people in day-to-day life but in the endurance sport world you know what we're seeing now is if anything is an increase in what people are eating 
carbohydrate wise to fuel performance because the the physiology is quite simple is that to support a very very high aerobic output you're going to burn a lot of sugar and you need to then find ways to train your gut to actually find ways to you know digest and process lots of carbohydrate very quickly hence we're seeing lots of innovative new products in that space you know different types of um, gels and energy drinks and that kind of thing and what what we where we feel we're fitting into that is like with the hydration stuff knowing your the numbers for how much fluid you might need how much sodium you might need when you're undertaking something significant i think there's a huge amount of benefit with knowing how much carbohydrate you need to take in so we've got tools on our website like a quick carb calculator we've got the full fuel and hydration planner and that yeah that those things for me are again where where we're trying to fill a gap in the market so there's a lot of people pushing products on athletes and then you've got a whole bunch of really fantastically credible sports dietitians and nutritionists writing articles and or you can consult with them but we want to bridge that gap in between and say hey you know if you land on our website you can get eight tenths of the way there by answering a few questions reading a few blogs and and hopefully get started on your personal journey because i learned the hard way that all of this is very individual you can't copy what someone else is doing everyone's physiology is different and you know so i think fuel fueling is a it was the piece that was missing from our puzzle until a few years ago and it's and it's now becoming you know baked into what we do folks have to check out the website i think having those tools are going to be enormously beneficial for folks you know to kind of create guidelines or a framework on on how to think about fueling and hydration for sport there's no reason to to guess i think at this point right <laughs> um, which, is, which is exciting yeah. that's exactly it lean on the knowledge that other people have you know have gained out there that's certainly what we're doing and pulling it together and ultimately you know we all do sport a lot a few people do sport because it's their living or because they you know, they want to be the best in the world most of us do it because we want to enjoy it and if you nail your fueling and hydration then you have a way better experience you feel great doing it instead of you know dragging your backside home you know feeling right. sorry for yourself you can <laughs> you can finish with the skip in your step where's the best place for folks to find you yeah so um for the for the company it's precision f and h is our handle across all the platforms you know we do a fair bit on instagram on um, facebook and and twitter um precisionfuelandhydration.com is the website if you hit the contact form on there it comes through to a real human we're a small team and we we get back to every single email that comes in so um, do that or just email us at hello at precisionfuelandhydration.com we've also got in the footer of our website the ability to book one-to-one video calls with members of our athlete support teams who are, who are all sports scientists or elite athletes so if if someone's if something that we've talked about today has kind of piqued someone's interest they want a bit of more individualized a deeper dive into it then book a one-to-one video call with the squad and we'd gladly have a chat with you very cool well andy thank you so much for your time today it's been fascinating and uh just yeah really insightful so thank you appreciate the invite thank you Thank you to Kristen and Andy for coming on the Whoop podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating or review. Check us out on social at Whoop at Will Ahmed. You can email the Whoop podcast, podcast at whoop.com, and we'll answer your questions. You can also call in at 508-443-4952. That's 508-443-4952. And new members can get $60 credit on Whoop accessories if they use the code WILL. That's W-I-L. Okay, that's it for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and stay in the green.